HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Alex McCreary, and I'm half of Opening Soon. My partner, Jenny Goodman, is not with us today, unfortunately. Um, But today we're broadcasting live from the HRN Podcast Lounge at Feast Portland. We want to thank our uh, supporters at Lake Crusade, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, as well as the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. Um, If you don't already know who we are, we have a show called Opening Soon that is all about walking you through the steps um, of opening a restaurant. We do that because we ourselves had a failed restaurant that lasted about six months. And so we chat with people that have done a really good job and found success through um, every part of whether it's creating a business plan to uh, finding financing to then opening the doors of your restaurant. And our first episode just aired uh, for the second season this past Tuesday where we talked to Camilla Marcus, um, who has Westbourne in New York City. And that was uh, a conversation about financing as well, but more the traditional route of um, finding investors. And today we're chatting with Maya Lovelace from May here in Portland, as well as uh, Yonder. Um, And she, if you don't already know who Maya is, she was an Eater Young Gun, Eater Portland Chef of the Year in 2016, Zagat National 30 Under 30 in 17, James Beard Rising Star semifinalist in 2017 and 18, as well as a Star Chef's Rising Star in 18. That's a lot of uh, accolades under your belt. (laughs) Thank you. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And her restaurants, Yonder and May, draw on her family heritage in Appalachia. Uh, Yonder hits on Southern classics, while May is a refined approach through a tasting menu that's personally delivered by you yourself, right? Absolutely. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm really excited to hear kind of the other side of the story. You know, I kind of think of it as like a, a scrappier approach to raising funds <laughs> for a restaurant than, um, than what we talked about last week. Tell me a little bit about um, you guys started a pop-up about four years ago in a garage. Yeah. Yeah. We started the pop-up in uh, March of 2015, which is crazy to even think about now. Um, But we basically started it just thinking it would be a one-off thing, sort of a tribute project to my grandmother, May. Um, And I was like, cool, I want to do a dinner that's inspired by her table. Like, 
the fact that she would bring out, you know, 10 dishes at once, basically, to feed a family of four. And it was ridiculous and over the top and always left you overstuffed, but like very emotionally satisfied. Um, so we started out with the idea of just doing that one time, like a fun one-off thing. And then the response was big enough that we started doing it once a month and then once every two weeks, once every week, up to four times a week. Um, wow. So it really just kind of snowballed into this thing that we were never really, um, you know, were headed you doing towards. it in the garage every... Every yeah. time? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whose yeah, garage we were, was this? It was the garage um, of a restaurant called Old Salt Marketplace, which unfortunately closed um, last year. But we actually opened, I think, a block away from where we originally started the pop-up. The current location of Yonder's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, right on Northeast 42nd Avenue. So, yeah, we did the pop-up in the garage for three years, and then we moved on to uh, a wine bar called Dame in Northeast right. and finished out our 10 years of pop-up there. And was the goal with the pop-up, was it always that that would lead into then the current restaurant today? Absolutely not. <laughs> I honestly just kind of wanted to take the pop-up thing as far as I could because it was, you know, really great work-life balance. Like right. we would work really long days, but we had guaranteed days off, you know, plenty of time to be creative and, you know, have this process of coming up with a new 10-course menu every week or whatever. Right. Um, so we kind of just wanted to do that as long as we could. And eventually it got to the point where we weren't satisfying the demand. There were too many people that wanted to come. Um, and These it are seemed... good problems to have. What did you say? So these are good problems to have good when there's too to many have. people that want to come to your restaurant. Good problems to have for sure. And it was really nice, but it's hard for me um, to let people be frustrated by not being able to, you know, access something. So we wanted to make a version of May that was more accessible to everyone, which is why we opened Yonder. I got it. Yeah. Interesting. So the, um, so the demand, you were basically like just satisfying people by you had to have a concrete store yeah okay yeah that's we kind of let everything grow really organically based on the demand that people gave us you and know how long ago was that that this like moment came where you were like this is not functional anymore we have to have a space um probably a year and a half ago i want to say okay. maybe two two years ago and up to that point had you raised money or had you saved money that would be then translated into the build out for the current project? Um, we had some money in the bank. Um, we were really fortunate operating this pop-up that we were able to, you know, save up about a hundred thousand dollars. Great. Um, after being able to, like, you know, pay our staff and and take care of everything, so we were lucky to have kind of like a little nest egg where right. we could get started. Yeah. What did, if you don't mind talking about the, the finances of the business plan? You've now you've decided that you need to open it. You've created a business plan. Yep. Calls for X amount of dollars. Yep. I'm guessing it wasn't a hundred thousand dollars. No. To start a new restaurant in Portland. <laughs> no. So what then what goes through your mind? Like, how am I going to get the rest of the money? Where, what are you thinking at this point? Yeah. So when we first were thinking about doing this, we were like, oh, we can totally open a restaurant for $250,000. We were like, right. definitely. We can do a build out. We'll find a space. It'll be great. We're going to do it, uh, you know, super like, not like sleek, but just enough. Like it didn't have to, minimalist. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were like, we'll just make fried chicken and it'll be a fried chicken counter and people will people come. People don't need chairs. They can just stand <laughs> up and be fine. Save we were money. like, we'll just get really cheap chairs. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, $250,000. Obviously, that is not the amount of money that it costs to build right. a restaurant from scratch. How, but we when were, did you figure that part out? Or uh, how did you figure like that halfway out? through the process, basically. 
how did how did you realize just from adding things up in the business plan yeah. or did you talk to someone did you have a consultant that said no You're crazy. just just adding things up in the business plan my partner Zach and I have done a lot of math with a lot of scary numbers over right. the last like two years uh, but basically we were like yeah we can do this for 250 we have a hundred in the bank let's try to get some small loans from people that we love like our friends and family who are have been fans of the pop-up and have been coming in. So we reached out and we got some money from those people and we were like, cool, cool, cool. Now like, now we can get started. Now <laughs> right. we can start, you know, filing for our permits or we can hire an interior designer or whatever. Um, so then obviously you think, oh, an interior designer. Oh, cool. We need somebody to do our branding. Oh, cool. We're going to have to buy furniture. Oh, cool. We need a really fancy fryer so that we can make fried chicken all day, every day. Right. And everything just kind of like snowballs. venting to take all that extra fry smell out of the yeah, restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so obviously things got more and more expensive. Right. Um, so after we got a round of loans from the people that we love, we then moved into the idea of doing a Kickstarter and doing crowdfunding. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about how that started. And I, I, I looked at the campaign. It's still live. You can kind of see. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of different things that uh, you guys offered in exchange because the way Kickstarter works is that you offer all these incentives for people to give you money and then you'll then repay them at some point once your business goes live if you reach that target goal amount. Right. So tell me one, how did you decide the target goal amount? How freaked out were you by hitting <laughs> that target goal amount? And what kind of things did you offer? And like, Yeah, um, we initially wanted to go for 50000 which my partner, Zach, was like, whoa, that's pushing it. That's way too much money. Like, we should go for 35. And I was like, no, I think we should go for 50. And then we had friends that were like, you should go for 75. Go for 75. Just push it. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> um, something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that when a lot of businesses do a Kickstarter to get going, they have the money that they need in the bank to be able to, like, pay that last big chunk. Right. Or, or like, like a friend, family person that's exactly. willing to give you that last You always chunk. have a bailout plan. So right. people were like, cool, like, shoot for 75. If you only make 50, you can just throw 25 in there somehow and you can make it happen. Did you um, have that bailout plan? We had, I mean, yeah, we had okay. the, the 100 in the bank. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, I really didn't want to do that because I think it's weird and obviously spending your own money to get money is well, it's weird. also like a little bit misleading to the Kickstarter audience. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't realize at the time that that was kind of the norm for Kickstarters. Um, but now you all know. Hopefully <laughs> I don't get like a nasty email from somebody at Kickstarter. Kickstarter's Sorry, everybody. Today. I no love worries. you, Kickstarter. Um, so yeah, basically we decided to do it. And we were like, cool, we're going to do this. We're going to try to raise $75,000 and we'll see what happens. And it was like the most gut-wrenching, miserable month probably because crowdfunding life. is crowdfunding sounds super exciting and super yeah. like you know accessible but then it's just, it's got to be the ultimate way of really putting yourself out there it is yeah yeah i mean i remember the the day that our kickstarter launched um, I actually got a text message from a restaurateur here in Portland who will remain anonymous that said, uh, Kickstarter is for kids with cancer, not chefs who can go out and earn their own money with their God-given talent. Wow. Um, and I wanted to be like, that's actually GoFundMe, so thank you very much. But <laughs> Kickstarter's for businesses, uh, right. but I didn't go there. But yeah, it, it was really funny, you know, putting ourselves out there and immediately getting like that weird thing from somewhere else in our industry. And we were like, that's weird. Like, why so aggressive? And then from there, it was just kind of this daily thing where it was like I would wake up and the first thing I would do was check that number. And then throughout the day, every time I had a spare second, I'd just refresh it on my phone. And it got to the point where my partner and I had to like put down our phones somewhere so that we wouldn't just panic 
and keep refreshing the screen. It's really weird, really weird experience feeling so attached to that number and just kind of like, are we going to make it? How long did you guys have? Because every Kickstarter has a window until you raise the amount of money, right? Is it yeah. set or you get to choose with that? You get to choose. Um, we heard from people that 30 days was the best amount of time to do it, so we did it for 30 days. Um, and I think we hit our target the day before the end of our campaign or maybe two days before. It was like a, a blur for me. And you went a little beyond, right? You, you guys raised yep. 85. Yeah, we got 85 the in the end, 75. which means that, you know, once Kickstarter takes their share, you end uh, up with like 75. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, and then you guys offered everything from a basket of chicken, <laughs> yeah. which is really cool. I would have certainly <laughs> invested had I lived close enough to get your basket of chicken. For sure. Um, nice. To like a $10,000 restaurant buyout. How did yeah. you see people... Um, I'm sure more people bought the, obviously the the uh, baskets, but how right. did you see people responding to the offerings that you put out? Um, I think that the the responses were pretty good. We tried to offer a really nice array of things at lots of different price points. So it was like you know you could get a little enamel pin with our drumstick logo on it, or like you said, you could get you know a restaurant buyout, or you could get you know us coming and cooking at your house, kind of like the old pop up days. Did any did any takers on that? Yeah. That's One, cool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in between, we had, you know, like a winemaker dinner. We did um, a recipe testing dinner so that people would get kind of a first glimpse at what the menu of Yonder was going to be like. So we tried really hard to make sure that the people who loved us could find a way to afford to support us. Right. Yeah. And how, I, I think another, you know, uh, another test of you know, what Kickstarter is is, is being stressed about delivering once you've now accepted all this money. <laughs> yeah. You're going to open your restaurant. Right. Um, you've got finite amount of funds left to sort of get you through the opening days, months, yeah. much longer than what most people anticipate. It usually takes at least six to nine months yeah. to become stable financially. How do you then like go to giving away all this free fried chicken or, or free dinners yeah. in the first year? How, how did you... So it ended up Handle actually that. being super weird for us because our restaurant ended up being delayed by a full year. So we did this Kickstarter and we were like, cool, we'll have these things to you in like three months. And then it turned out to be a year and three months. Or honestly, we still have a dinner we haven't even done yet. Like, that's <laughs> where we are. It's like, sorry to everyone who backed the vegetarian dinner. I swear we're going to do it before tomatoes go out of season. <laughs> but like... We are still kind of like picking up those pieces. We tried to get all the, you know, really immediate material things out, like people who bought tote bags and pins and, right. uh, you know, got a basket of biscuits with pimento cheese. Like we tried to get all of those things sent out. And it's really just been kind of like trying to open the restaurant, trying to make it run and trying to kind of fulfill all these rewards. Yeah. It's a lot. Are, have people been receptive and understanding of like obviously you're a brand new business or are people yeah. like hey the, where are the for the most part bag? we've had a couple people write us emails and threaten to sue us um, over their fried chicken basket yeah people are it's real intense. weird y'all people are really <laughs> weird that's another thing about crowdfunding is that you're not only opening yourself up to like weird ridicule you're also opening yourself up to people who have access to make crazy demands from you so it's yeah really intense experience yeah yeah, not to like complain. Like I'm very, very happy that we did it. I'm very happy that we are where we are. But I want to be really open and honest about that for all of you who are out there, maybe thinking about doing crowdfunding. Make sure you are emotionally prepared. There's a lot that comes with it. It's not yeah. just you know you don't just get the funds no. to live in your bank and everybody goes away and says thank <laughs> right. you so much. They're there. Yeah. They're there forever. Um, <laughs> but I but I think for the most part, people probably did it because they either had been to your dinners or yeah. like understood 
how great your food was and yeah. how amazing you are yourself and probably as an investment in you personally. Yeah. Um, were you surprised by the the amount of support? How many back? Do you know how many backers? Oh God, it was over. It was grand? over six hundred. Um, That's a good chunk of people. And it was a lot of people. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, it was really um, validating in a way. For sure. Because you know, you kind of put this wild idea out where you're like, "Cool, give us money," I guess. And then when people actually show up, you know, you can see the list of backers too, and it's like, "Oh my God!" Like my high school English teacher, like, <laughs> thank you. And, you know, things like that, where you just see all these people pop up and you're like, wow, like I am a part of this community. I do feel supported by this community. These people do want us to open this restaurant. Like Portland wants us to be here. Right. Um, and you so, have a media customer base built in. So there's, yeah. there's definitely a lot of pluses to it. Yeah, for sure. Would you do it again? Kickstarter? I would. Yeah. Because it let us get where we are. And I'm just happy that we have a restaurant that's open and we can serve people our food and tell our story, you right. know? So Kickstarter, you raised 85 grand. Yep. You had 100 grand from pop-ups. Yep. 185 grand is still not enough to open a restaurant. It's true. Where, what did you do? We ended up actually taking on um, a couple of partners. We have two partners in the restaurant, both people that we knew, people that we loved already, which I think is really crucial. Um, a lot of people ask me how to find the right partner. And we courted a few people that had a ton of money, but that we didn't necessarily feel like we could ride into the sunset with. That's kind of how somebody described it. Like when you're taking on a partner, that's somebody you want to ride off into the sunset with. That's like your person. They're like attached to you for the tenure of this restaurant being open. Yeah, so, it's definitely, um, we, we talked about this a little bit last, last week. It's, yeah. You have to both have the same vision for where you want to be it's true. with the restaurant 10 years, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty it's important. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we ended up finding these really great people, one of whom um, actually was our host for the last six months of the pop-up being open, a really wonderful woman named Jane Smith, who owns a restaurant called Dame in Northeast Portland, little wine bar. So yeah, she was hosting us as a pop-up, just as I think a way to get a little extra, you know, cash. And she fell in love with what we were doing and she believed in us. So she came to us and she was like, I was thinking about buying a house, but instead maybe I'll help you open this restaurant. And that was a huge vote of confidence, you know. And then we had a couple of folks who had been coming to our pop-up since basically the beginning. Um, a guy who is basically like a father figure to me at this point, who grew up in eastern North Carolina, pretty close to me, started picking tobacco as his first job when he was five years old. Like, hard-working dude who has gotten to a point in his life where he can afford to, you know, buy into something that he really believes in. So he and his wife are our other partners. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you think that they were influenced by the Kickstarter support at all? I think that they might have been. I think that it, you know, they, they saw it as something that, you know, had support. And then the fact that we were also able to come to the table with that money, right. as well as our little nest egg that we had saved up. Right. You know, we had skin in the game as well. Like, we weren't just saying, give us your money, we're going to run with it, and hopefully we'll do something successful. We were like, we're also investing in this personally. It's definitely a big thing that, that investors look for, I think, is to, to see that you're taking the risk beyond obviously the time sweat equity that you're putting into it but that you're yeah. financially taking the risk yourself which is pretty daunting for a chef and and you know i'm sure most people know but chefs don't make a ton of money when they're in restaurants so <laughs> it's true the idea of saving up a hundred thousand dollars within less than 15 years as a chef is pretty pretty remarkable yeah and, um kudos for getting that done thank you um how long was so when did you, you guys open the doors six months ago, right? We did, yeah. So this was like a four and a half year 
process. Yeah. That's that's a long story. It's a long story. We feel good now. Yeah. We're up it, and moving and Yeah, it feels good. We're up and moving, we're doing the thing. We're just trying to kind of, you know, keep it afloat now and prove to all these people who were kind enough to invest in us and believe in us that we can do it and we can do it well and we can be there for them the way that we should. And May is the component that's a tasting menu that just opened like six weeks ago. Is that right? Like a month ago. ago. (laughs) Basically, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. Six weeks. You're right. I can't tell. I don't know time. (laughs) Time, uh, whatever. But yeah, we uh, started doing those dinners. um, Yeah, six weeks ago. And that's three nights a week. uh, 24 people. It's a super intimate 10 course Appalachian tasting menu. Um, It's really, really fun. So y'all should come. It's great. Um, we talked about this a little bit again last week as well. What are some resources for finding capital? I think it was um, it was interesting to learn in our in our show that um, most investors are usually are fairly hyper local. They want um, they're not clearly you're not making tons of money. This is not the best investment in the world. Right. You're, you're investing for other reasons. <laughs> you're investing because you want a great place to go. Yeah. Um, you believe in the person that's doing it. And as opposed to some other investments, this is a steady stream of small revenue. You do get payouts and, and dividends come every six months or so. Yeah. Um, any thoughts of resources that you would advise other young entrepreneurial chefs on how to find money? I mean, honestly, I can say for us, the most important thing going in was that we had established a name was that we had a proof of concept already for years. Um, I think that that really got us ahead. So I think it's really important to make sure that you have something to kind of like back up your story with, right? right? Legitimized. Exactly. And I think it's really easy now for chefs to kind of build a portfolio, right? Of dishes that you've made, of places where you've worked. It's, you know, the era of Instagram. So I think it's really important to kind of have this backlog of like, look what I can do. Obviously, if you have achievements along the line, awards and things like that, it's really great to be able to show those to folks as well. Um, I found in my experience that when I was looking for resources, looking for ways to, you know, borrow money, it's really, really difficult because banks don't want to give money to a restaurant, period. You don't have any bank loans, any debt taken outside of investors? No, just our investors. We actually went to try to get an equipment loan. Everybody was like, equipment loans are super easy because you say, here's the list of equipment we want, and then the equipment is the collateral for the loan. So they'll just give it to you. It's great. Um, That is not the case. At least it wasn't for us. We went to a bank and we were like, can we get an equipment loan? And they were like, absolutely not. (laughs) So um, it's kind of a funny thing, right? And then there are lots of places, like organizations that intentionally lend to restaurants. And they're like, yes, we will lend to you. It's wonderful. Interest rate, 13%. Crazy interest rates, yeah. A lot of them will will directly take out of your credit card processor too. So um, I I think that's definitely a cautionary tale is to be be wary of those interest rates. Because if you start breaking down what your earnings will be in the first six months, taking that big chunk of money out, not just the first six months, but for the lifetime of yeah. That product loan that you took, it really can be pretty, scary. Can, be, can hit you hard for sure. But yeah, so I would say basically the most important thing or the, the best avenue that we found for finding money was building community support. So it's like whether it came from building that nest egg or whether, you know, it was the Kickstarter, it was all about support that we had built up in the community. I mean, that also probably gives you a, a great opening day. Um, audience already pre-built in, which is amazing. Yeah. Most restaurants open the door and everybody has to find out from that from it at that point, right? Yeah, you have to have true. a PR agency pitching consistently. Right. You already had at least 
six, seven hundred people that knew about what you were doing. Yeah, we I'm had. Sure there were many more. We but. had ten thousand people on our mailing list when we opened the restaurant. That's a good way to start. So we had a, a good head start for sure. Okay. We always do on our show, we'll do like a lightning round at the end. Ooh. So like some quick questions. Very exciting. Um, you can elaborate if you want. But uh, <laughs> number one is favorite dish on the May menu right now. Is it, May, is it consistent May. or does it always change on May? What? The menu? Yeah. The menu changes every two weeks. Every two weeks. Yeah. Okay, Basically, so right now, favorite dish. Right now, favorite dish on the menu. Um, we have this really delicious toast we're making um, with salt rising bread, which is an old school Appalachian bread. It's bacterially risen, so you make this crazy starter with potatoes and cornmeal and milk. You have to keep it warm overnight, and then you have to add flour to it and see if it's alive, and then you have to turn it into a loaf of bread if it's alive. Uh, but it's this <laughs> really great bread that tastes like cheese and has this really crunchy texture when you toast it. It is super delicious. Um, so we have this toast, and on on top of that, uh, buttermilk ricotta that we make in-house with um, dill and chive. On top of that, really gorgeous, fatty, rich trout cured with our house-made hominy miso and then smoked. And then a little bit of cucumber uh, and hominy made with Jimmy Red Corn from Anson Mills. Sounds amazing. Yeah. We, we talked about the bread a little bit earlier. We're we going to rebrand it, call it Granny Bread. Granny Bread. We're going to help distribute it. And yeah. it's going to be the next big thing. It's going to be incredible. 50% failure rate on that bread. It's really, really... We'll Good have a Kickstarter campaign. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yes. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Favorite business book? Did you have a business book that you Favorite liked? business book. Yeah, I'm going to totally blank on the author here, but there is a book called Radical Candor um, that is really, really phenomenal. Um, it's basically just about how to be a good boss and be an honest, truthful boss and creating a culture of openness and honesty in your business, which is something that we're trying to do at Yonder at May. And it's real hard, y'all, but it's really, really, <laughs> really important. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, would you recommend the path you chose for startup uh, to other ambitious operators? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, mentor, inspirational leader in the hospitality industry. Oh, my God. I have a lot of mentors. Just one. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I would say probably, uh, probably Sean Brock, um, who I worked for at Husk in okay. Charleston. Um, I would say that because he taught me to um, value the food that I grew up eating 
Um, I grew up in the South and I wanted to cook French food and Italian food. I didn't care about the food that my grandma made. I didn't care about the food where I was from because that wasn't exciting. It wasn't elegant. And to have a chef teach me that, yes, like the things that I grew up with, my traditions and my culture were also valid was really huge for me. That's awesome. Yeah. We're, we're going to have Sean on the, uh, on the show later next month. Oh, awesome. So we'll chat Tell about him I said, what's up? Appalachia as well. Yeah. <laughs> More about wellness, I think, that show. But yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Um, you're a minority, I think, when it comes to Kickstarter success, especially for restaurants. Yeah. Right? There's not, you don't see a lot of restaurants. You don't see a lot of food businesses on Kickstarter. Right. Um, give us your one-line quote for other people interested in doing Kickstarter. Like my advice? Yeah, your advice. Um, don't offer dollar-for-dollar dollar food rewards. So, yeah, the chicken bucket, I think, is like $300. No, I'm just kidding. How, how much was the chicken bucket? Oh, my God. I actually don't even remember, right. which is sad. But People don't care. They want a barrier right. that's at their price point to be right. able to support you right. and have some sort of reward, right? Exactly. So, so you have to have some kind of price inflation because you actually need to have that money count towards something instead right. of just handing it right back as soon as you get your doors open. Right. Yep. Um, biggest oh shit moment when you opened Yonder Man. Ooh. I am still having oh shit moments every single day. <laughs> I had an oh shit moment this morning during brunch when I was like, oh my God, I have to leave the restaurant right now. Uh, biggest oh shit moment was probably realizing all of a sudden that there was no one above me to turn to. That I was the one. I was the only person. Like, oh, the sink is broken? Cool. Oh, the AC is not working? Um, okay. Oh, like two of my cooks called out today. Okay. You have to do everything. Right. So I would say... Yeah, I mean, like, I think a week in, I was like, holy shit, I can't ask anybody for anything. Yeah, welcome to ownership. Yeah, right. it's fun. Um, <laughs> at the end of our show, we always do, like, a couple other opening soon announcements. And so this one we'll, uh, we'll do specifically for Portland. Cool. Um, I think May is four, four to six weeks old, so that counts. That's true. Um, any that you know of that are brand new in Portland? How, how brand new is brand new? Uh, four weeks or so, I think. Four weeks or so. Yeah. Fresh. Oh, God. Or coming soon. Anything in the next couple of weeks? Any friends that you know that you want to shout out? Oh, yeah. Fermenter. I haven't been to Fermenter, Fermenter. yet, but I'm really excited to go. Uh, my friend Aaron Adams is a really rad chef. He's also a vegan chef um, who approaches food with really bold flavors. He has a restaurant here called Farm Spirit that's like vegan, fine dining, really beautiful. But Fermenter is his like casual lunch counter where I think it has like four seats and you go and you sit down and you're like, here's 25 bucks. And he's like, cool, here's a three course, super bomb, like really nourishing beautiful vegan lunch. Sounds so amazing. So I'm super excited to go to Fermenter. I feel like the other openings here it's recently... It's open now, Fermenter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like everybody else opened kind of like six months ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of lovely Rita just switched over at the Hoxton. That's uh, true. From the submarine group and they also have Sicoria that's coming soon. Um, and then I was lucky enough to kind of to walk through the Kex Hotel which is a Icelandic um, hotel that's going to be making its way into Portland in the next few months and they have a restaurant called Vivian that's going to be opening up oh. um, thank you so much for being here and chatting with us my pleasure on opening soon at Feast Portland we're super stoked that you are here um, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour presented by Lake Rousset thanks again to our supporters at Lake Rousset Travel Portland Salt and Straw and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible um, if you're looking for us you can find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC and you can also find us obviously on Heritage Radio Network as well as your uh, podcast app where can we find May and um, Yonder on social 
Um, at YonderPDX, at MayPDX. And those are also our websites, so pretty easy to find. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, thank y'all. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.